The Creative Exchange podcast is all about celebrating the artistic process on Cape Cod and connecting creatives. That's right, Julie. And as part of that, we'd like to invite you to a Creative Exchange live event here at the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. On May 30th, 2019 at 5.30, Amy and I are bringing back some of this season's guests for a live panel discussion. Come connect with other listeners, meet podcast guests, and celebrate the arts community. Mark your calendars and visit artsfoundation.org slash creative exchange for details and updates. See you there. See you there. This podcast has been underwritten by Cape Cod Healthcare because investing in the arts creates a healthier community. Welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast, a series of elevated conversations with Cape Cod creatives. This project is a collaboration between the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod and Provincetown Community Television, recorded at the Night Owl Recording Studio at the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. It is an ode to the artistic process and its unique manifestation here on Cape Cod, seeking to reveal the successes, challenges, and experiences of local artists. Above all, it is a reminder that arts matter in our community. Welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast. I'm Amy Davies, the Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. And I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. Continuing our exploration of the process, on this episode, we're speaking with designer and architect Mariana Gresti about the process of recognizing the spaces between... Marianne has a Master's of Architecture from the University of Pennsylvania and has been the principal owner and designer of the Design Initiative since 1996. Recently, her focus has turned to exterior space, recognizing a need for careful review of what she calls the space between, a concept we'll be diving into with her today. Welcome, Marianne. Hello. Thanks for having me. So, Amy, what do you want to learn today? I have <laughs> I have a two-part um, quest to find knowledge <laughs> today. Um, so we all recognize if a building isn't functioning for its purpose, right? We can say this is this is bad design. So is it a compliment when nobody notices how well your business your building works? <laughs> if you're the the architect, and what contributes to that lack of functionality in a building? You know, it can't just be a bunch of bad designers. You know, is it change, changes that are made after the initial design, uh, budget constraints? And then my real question is, how does a building stand up? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> um, I'm really interested to talk more about that whole program that uh, Marianne's working on the spaces between because I just I love that whole concept of thinking about the spaces between like between where we walk where we go to school um, where we shop and uh, where we hang out and so I I do think that there's a lot of missed opportunities especially here on the Cape and so I'm really interested in digging deeper into that that topic of the spaces between. Um, I also think of the Susan Blood conversation about how um, sometimes communities create the pathways and the spaces between, mm -hmm. you know, buildings kind of organically or the spaces that we use organically just by the nature of um, pathways being done. And so I think that would be a really interesting conversation. And so mm -hmm. we have the perfect person here to talk about that. Welcome, Marianne, again. Thank you. Thanks. 
So how'd you get here on Cape Cod? <laughs> Where are you from? Yeah. Where am I from? I grew up in Rhode Island. And uh, and the funny thing is that I now teach at Rhode Island School of Design. Everyone assumes that I went there, but I come from a very large Portuguese-Italian family, and I didn't even apply to RISD because all I needed to do when I was 18 was to get out of town. So... Uh, <laughs> Because they were everywhere. So I grew up in Rhode Island um, and then went to Syracuse, but, you know, studied architecture in Philadelphia. Then I ended up in Boston after um, finishing my master's degree. Uh, Worked there for many years. Um, It wasn't until I was 40 years old that I met someone who lived down here. I had never been here because, once again, I grew up in Rhode Island. And if you grew up in Rhode Island, why do you need to come to Cape Cod? Because all this stuff is there, right? Right. So yeah. uh, so I discovered Cape Cod much later in life when I met um, the man who's now my husband, who took six years for him to convince me to move here because I'm kind of a city girl. Mm. Um, so, uh, But after a while, we realized that um, we were sort of being brought in a certain direction in the city just by the momentum of the city. And by mm-hmm. the momentum of our careers and, and coming here to where he grew up um, and his family has lived for a few generations year round mm-hmm. uh, meant that we could step off that a little bit and decide for ourselves how we wanted to proceed. Mm. Um, I know we're going to get to the heavier topics, but um, your description of kind of the transition from being a city person to a Cape Cod person, and I met you during that time. Mm. What was that transition like? And um, and have you used the city to kind of inform some of the work here that you're working on today? Uh, yeah, I think that so the first thing that came to mind was that I had to learn how to be a lot more intentional when I moved here. When you're in the city, you, you trip over things. Um, and as a result, that sort of becomes your pattern, whether it be social or the work that you do. And a lot of people are very intentional in the city, don't get me wrong. But for me, I found myself sort of just kind of doing what I came across. Mm-hmm. So here, um, you need to be much more intentional socially. Um, reach out to people a little bit more. Um, you also have an opportunity to be a bit more, I think, intentional with your career and with the work you choose, which sort of brings you to that next question. So I think there was a bit of a void for me over a few years where I was feeling a little lost, right? There wasn't as much work where I kind of was tripping over it, so I needed mm-hmm. to think a bit more about it. And I was sort of like, well, then what is it that I'm going to intentionally reach out to? And one of the things that I found really interesting for me here as a person who likes density was that um, we're really great about being very aware of our edges, right? Our beach, the edges, et cetera. And we're committed to what I call the points, right? Historic places, moments where you arrive, et cetera. But I found, and this is why I started calling it the space between, was that the places between all that kind of weren't as a carefully as addressed as they could be and had and they kind of identify our lives it's the spaces that we walk it's the spaces that we travel um where we rest and wait so i became a lot very interested in those and so um my office is down by the transportation center i like tra- public transportation a lot so i <laughs> too so I when like i people watching yeah when i moved here I, I got a studio right next to the bus station everyone warned me they said did you know that you moved next to the bus station i was like yeah i really am excited <laughs> about that and i still am excited about that i think it's a wonderful location there's a path from my office down to the harbor down pleasant street and i was talking to someone one day about pleasant street and 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 it's its story and uh and i realized that this was a space between 
Tell us a little bit about the story. So uh, Pleasant Street historically is a place where the sea captains developed their homes because it was close to the harbor. This is in Hyannis. Um, And it grew over time to also be the route between uh, water-based transportation and land-based because the train came in, right? So everything would come in through the harbor and the sea captain sort of lined that street and the train was at the other end. And so it's a pretty strong access for the history of Hyannis. Um, it tells the story of transportation on many levels and the story of a lot of our citizens that really defined it. The uh, hardware store um, there at the corner of Pleasant Street and Main Street has been there for generations, right? It's, it, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's uh, called the Cash Block because it was one of the first business buildings. Oh. Um, in downtown, what is now downtown Hyannis. But that was actually the center there where the train came in and where the cash block was. Um, it's interesting how it's shifted, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. that, the the flow of traffic. But, I mean, mm-hmm. we still have a lot of walk, walking traffic there. Yeah, and so what interested me was I would see thousands of people come off the train and the bus every day, particularly in the summer, and they would walk down Pleasant Street and nobody knew what they were walking through. And so one of the things that interests me in addition to spaces between is um, a layering of meaning over time. And, um, and you know, when you're, when you're taught to design pre-computer, right, when I got my master's degree, there were no such <laughs> thing as a computer, so we use tracing paper like crazy. Mm-hmm. So you would put a sketch down, then you'd put another piece of trace down and sketch and sketch and sketch, and you'd build up this pile, sometimes like a half inch thick of tracing paper. And the first drawing that you had done would sort of still be slightly visible on the top layer. And so we learn to design by sort of being informed by those layers over time, the time of designing. But we also were instructed to think about it as there's a cool word called palimpsest. Mm. P-A-L-I-N-P-S-E-S-T. Palimpsest. It's one of my favorite cocktail words. So uh, <laughs> I'm totally going to use that. Yeah, no, it's a great <laughs> word, right? And so what it, it refers back to a time when paper um, was much more scarce. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you would maybe write a letter to somebody. And then over time, you would sort of scrape away what had been written, but you would reuse the surface to write something else. But imagine that you never really would scrape away everything, right? And so things would begin to sort of build Mm. up over time. And so you'd see a history of some sort of idea or meaning. Mm. And so I like to think about um, history that way. And I like to think about building that way. And so this speaks a little bit to what you asked about um, why some buildings succeed and others don't, Mm -hmm. right? Because... Mm. I believe that if you spend some time, and, and it doesn't have to be really expensive to spend this time, <laughs> contrary to popular belief, okay. um, if you spend some time understanding a place, and it can be a Cumberland Farms or it can be a really beautiful church, it doesn't really matter, but understand the place and really understand the coincidences that happen there. I mean, did, does, do people normally walk across it a certain way? Mm-hmm. Are there certain accidents that happen for a certain reason? Like all this good stuff. And sometimes it can be a bit more poetic, um, you know, tracing the path of the sun, understanding, um, you know, weather patterns. But if you really look at it and think about layering it all on top, the drawings give you the answer to the best thing that should be built there. Um, you know, you bring your experience to it and you edit what the drawings give you, but you really do start to see cool coincidences. And, um, and I think the, the buildings that survive, the buildings that are appreciated, those that really become a part of a community are those that, that looked at the bigger picture, looked beyond the site, mm-hmm. but looked beyond and looked sometimes even a mile outside of the site. Um, when we design, we ask our students to design at the scale of 
the plate at the scale of the table, the scale of the dining room, the scale of the house, the scale of the road, the neighborhood. Like you really have to go in and out and mm-hmm. in and out all the time. So, so I think if you get trained to do that, even if you're a developer who's just working at a spreadsheet, right, and it's all money driven, but if we can train ourselves to think about all those layers of meaning, then even if you're just running by the numbers, that building will become a more a meaningful place. Wow. That's like really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm like thinking about all the buildings that I like and what I don't like. And yeah. yeah. And just that perspective, because not having any, you both have experience with, mm-hmm. with designing buildings and I have no experience. And so like, where do you, and I find this question coming up in every podcast, like, where do you start? I would have no idea where to, yeah. to start. Uh, you know, I love the aging and the deconstruction of buildings and and similar to like look like how you're looking at the layers i love and there's a book about the way buildings age Mm. and i find that fascinating too i was just at mount auburn um cemetery last weekend and just looking at some of the the um, structures there and seeing the layers or looking at a cross-section of the you know, the land in front of mm-hmm. a building and seeing the layers of all these, you know, right. historical um, kind of creating history and little landmarks and telling a story mm-hmm. um, through the layers. Mm-hmm. And so I love looking at the way things age um, in structures. And I think um, I think that's kind of similar to what you're saying. Yeah, but I think it's important to um, make sure that it doesn't become a question about nostalgia or preservation. And I think that's what happens in a lot of beautiful places like Cape Cod. They kind of, um, I'm often considered to be a preservationist as an architect, and actually I couldn't be further from a preservationist. I actually believe in adaptive reuse and layering on new things because we're an active community. And and so I like to be at the table with preservationists because they can talk to me about the layer that really needs to stay. Like, what should we never scrape away, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then I can say, okay, yeah, but here's the new layer. That's here's the innovation. That's going to give new meaning yeah. to that layer. So so adaptive reuse I find to be just fascinating because it allows us to sort of do that. Because remember, we're just, mm-hmm. we're just one point on a timeline. And I think that a mm-hmm. lot of times when we build things, people think that it's done, right? But if you think about a building never being done and all you're doing is layering another piece on top of it and that inevitably because we know it's true someone mm-hmm. else is going to come mm-hmm. along and do something else right and and so how are you setting the stage for that next layer like what is your layer mm-hmm. knowing that someone else is going to come along mm-hmm. right? so do you design it sounds like you design with that in mind that this is yeah. a, a temporary you know you think of a building as being a permanent structure but you're thinking of it more as a temporary structure that can be adjusted for the future is that- yeah I think all buildings we, we would be fooling ourselves as we didn't think that they were going to be modified in some way at another time, right? And I'm not talking about demolishing them because Mm -hmm. the success of that layer is that you've built something that has a reason to continue to be. And, Mm. and, And you have to listen to the people who are using it really carefully, right? To make sure that, that you're kind of thinking, okay, because, because what everybody needs at some point is, is pretty much timeless, Right. There's mm-hmm. a certain I mean, we can talk about trends in architecture, but when you really listen to someone, they want, you know, safety and comfort and relationship to the outside and they want a relationship to each other. And, right. and so building on those things and then clearly there's some immediate needs. There's some technological needs and stuff like that. But but I believe that that uh, what some people might call the bones, what some people might call the relationship to the 
space, but you know, buildings that have a relationship to their um, world in a bigger way, I personally think are the ones that aren't going to get demolished because we're going to want them to sort of be there. Now, there's exceptions to that rule, right? The Pleasant Street thing is sort of an interesting story because those buildings were not taken care of at all. So now you've got the complexity of, of zoning and the complexity of um, of neighborhoods and, and, and how people can pay for things. And, and I don't want to be kind of all romantic about this. I recognize that there are some realities and I'm, you know, I work a lot with universities, so I know there's sort of some things that can't be denied. But for example, at Pleasant Street, those buildings, uh, they tried hard to save them and for a lot of reasons they couldn't be saved. Okay, So we're not gonna get into the politics of that right now, but there's an opportunity to work with the developer on how the story can be brought forward into the future. So for example, one day I started doing a site plan of the site in an effort to think, well, what is the logic of this place? Why are these buildings so great? And realized that where now they're going to make an open uh, kind of park, garden, is where an existing foundation is of one of the buildings that they're going to have to demolish. And so there's something about the crest of that land, there's something about the location of that place that two generations have sort of decided was important, one by building a volume and one by opening it up, right? Mm. So there's something about that that's a little magical, and I wouldn't have noticed it unless I layered all the drawings over time on top of each other. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it just by standing there. The drawings sort of said, look. And, And so now we've decided to keep that foundation as part of the garden and make it into a platform for, for you know, presentation and things. So, so that story, that trace, will always be there. It's very palimpsest, right, to mm-hmm. sort of have that trace of that there. Mm. Um, so, uh, so I think that that's interesting. Sometimes it can be subtle. Sometimes it can be another building. Sometimes it's just tracing daylight. Mm. And how, how do you innovate and honor and get public input? That seems like a big <laughs> task because you're the, those are all the things you're talking about, uh, talking to the people using the space and, you know, honoring the past, but moving forward. So how, you know, I, I think sometimes people who want to be innovative just bust through and they mm-hmm. don't want to listen. So how are you, how are you able to do that? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a big world, and there's space for all kinds of people, right? We need sort of what we call the architects, right? Because they do sort of just blast through and don't ask anybody, and they've got a vision. And, and eventually that does trickle down to those conversations you have more at a neighborhood level. So, um, you know, so everyone has their role. I, ju- I mean, I can only speak to sort of the way that I feel like I can most effectively create something that I feel like is going to last forever. Um, and, and by last forever, I mean... Um, be again that layer that is meaningful to future and and um, and sustains us now. So, um, so it's not my style to sort of plow things through. What the way I like to work is to listen really carefully. But um, over the years of my career, that's become my role. So, for example, although I'm an architect, um, I have found in doing large buildings, university buildings, some of these are you know 100,000 square feet, million square feet. They're big buildings. Um, it can be very hard to navigate the interior space for an individual at such a large scale. Mm-hmm. And I found that what I preferred in that team was not actually building the building envelope, the sort of architecture part, the sort of curb appeal part. But what I really liked was talking to the person who's going to be standing at the front desk doing security and figuring out how they can do their job. I actually really liked that part. Mm-hmm. And it's a very detailed, intimate sort of job. And so that, over the years, has become my role. So now I, the role I have on these big projects is as interior architect. 
So I'm the person who talks to the administrative assistants and the students and and listen to them and then do my best to fold those things in. So there's someone else at the table who's really loving the sculptural part from the curb, right? Mm-hmm. And then together we, we can make something that will work for everyone at all scales because both are important. Mm. Well. I love that thinking about you know the the user and how they inform the space, and um, you know I was thinking about some of the public art projects that you've been involved in, and sometimes we see things on the Cape that are so forced, you know, like let's put a you know, I don't know, a lighthouse <laughs> sculpture in the middle of a rotary, you know, <laughs> waving to people, mm-hmm. you know, but it's it really, <laughs> no, sorry. I like lighthouses. I like lighthouses too, but (laughs) just love that. I can just see that happening and then no one can, you know, go see your hand the rotary. So, you know, I know um, Marianne's work through the years where um, she very gently and intelligently, but forcefully has been (laughs) in a very respectful way, has been um, working towards informing uh, lots of town people or people involved in, you know, the different areas where public art is trying to be mm. had that sometimes let let the artist inform, let the community inform where the space should be instead of forcing these mm. opportunities, you know. So I really I I'm curious, um, you know, to understand your vision of, you know, Main Street Hyannis, which you've yeah, been which very involved in, and it needs it needs someone like you, and um, as well as the other artists that you've been collaborating with, and other uh, teams that you've been collaborating with. But what is um, like your high level vision for Hyannis? Like, what would you like to see? It's like, isn't it like the perfect opportunity for something big to happen? Everyone's kind of waiting and watching. Right. Right. <laughs> Okay, that's a so big that's one. <laughs> no, it's 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 interesting um, that you should ask what the high level vision is because um, again, it comes back to these this sort of layering for me and letting sort of experience sort of speak and and because. I'll just tell you a little anecdote in that way. So sometimes when people um, ask me to help them with a project, say it's a house, right? Somebody will invite you over to interview, and then the first thing they'll say is, "So what would you do?" Yeah. <laughs> right. And and I I have learned to tell people that I can't tell them that that I have no idea what I would do until we work together for a little while because the experience is going to give us the answer and that I am going to kind of help them edit through that. I feel the same way about Hyannis Main Street. Mm. I feel like um, although there are some big moves that um, you could agree or disagree with, mm-hmm. the but the fabric that holds that place together needs some very regular attention of adding meaning, right? So, for example, we started with some murals. And how do people respond to those, right? We have a general plan for where we think some points um, are important for intersection. But then we keep coming back to the meeting saying, well, there isn't really something that holds the spine together, right? So, um, you know. Is that the space between? And these are the spaces between, yeah. (laughs) yeah. But sometimes the space between is not an actual space, but an idea, so last year, we, um, with the support of the Rotary and the BID and all the town, we were able to create the beginning of a heritage trail. So what we, what I kind of said to them, you know, um, there aren't really um, uh, like a, a trail of crumbs, right, that you can follow to lead you down Main Street. So we <laughs> created these kiosks, and on each kiosk, there's some really interesting stories 
about hyannis. And what I tried to um, explain was that if everybody could know everything on these kiosks, all the school kids, all the business owners, everyone, we have this foundation of knowledge. And it's the foundation of knowledge that's kind of the ligament or the space between, right? Mm-hmm. It's not so much this it's some relevant, object. right? right? making it's, it relevant. Right. And if we all know everything on there, so now I'm going to do a little book and we're going to sell the book and all this mm-hmm. stuff, right? And, and, and so, so the space between, we don't really know what the object is someday but we do know that if we start with a base of knowledge that's kind of the same as building a building in a little bit of a way right Mm -hmm. because we're building this density of information and then eventually someone's going to say i love that i love that story about um why why the airport's named the airport which is a really cool story you have to go to the kiosk and read it Uh, (laughs) um and um and so and then that will get built on. And so then maybe that will become a volume at some point. Maybe that becomes an art um, piece, right? Mm-hmm. And then we can decide where it goes. But again, you have to build up. And, and, so, and it doesn't have to come from me. One of the things I really like about being an installation artist, um, in addition to a designer, is that I really um, am okay if it comes from somewhere else. And it's sort of like, oh, that's a great idea. Let me help you make that happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right. about connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. You know, It's not necessarily about me doing it. Mm-hmm. I, so. I love that approach too because you're not making it precious you know mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not like oh there's a thing and we can't mm-hmm. we can't touch it and we can't change, change. it yeah. You know? yeah yeah that's a good point yeah there's um there's a, a new way of talking about sustainable building now that basically says that it's not about bamboo right the most <laughs> sustainable thing you can possibly do is to build something that people care about um, so, mm-hmm. and, and they will, and therefore the community will take care of it. Clearly there's better environmental choices you can make. There's better material choices you can make, but, um, uh, it can't be, I mean, we, we all know of some buildings that call themselves sustainable, but probably won't survive. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so what, uh, you know, and yeah. so it's interesting to sort of, again, step back, look at the big picture and think, well, what does it mean to have a place that people care about? Right. Yeah. And when the passive solar burns, you know, giving sunburn to Please. <laughs> anyway. I don't know anything about that. No. <laughs> Me either. Yeah. So, um, and so, and you talked about these coincidences too, right? About the places that kind of just are there and like the, the rotary or, or a, an alley or something like that. And these are sort of these forgotten spaces. Um, and um, we can, I think the idea is to give these places identity to make mm-hmm. them as auth- an authentic part of the neighborhood. And it will help Main Street. So to answer mm-hmm. your question, I think that we can use those spaces to make people feel safer, mm-hmm. to make people feel invested in a place, mm-hmm. um, to get, make them curious about a place, right? right? A lot mm-hmm. of design is just simply about being curious, mm-hmm. curious enough to keep asking questions mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and not just um, let these sort of spaces... Uh, between <laughs> right. be forgotten yeah. yeah yeah and it really helps I mean we you can even use it uh, to support economic development mm-hmm. because I know just from traveling and I'm sure you guys um, can relate to this that you see something off in the distance some interesting building or uh, public art or mm-hmm. a mural and it really just pulls you in to the community you start wondering 
how did this happen? What right. is this? Then I start Googling, why are there so many murals in this city? Right. And then you realize it's kind of a big deal and that I just saw a big deal happening. Totally. And I right. want to go back and explore more. And so I see that as such a important part for the Cape and especially for our little Hyannis area, which I think could really um, benefit from having those um, those different opportunities to be kind of pulled through and mm-hmm. through the businesses and the, the little side streets, down to the water, you know, around the Sturgis School, mm. you know, down to the, each end. But um, but really that place that used to be the, the center of kind of the economics of things or the the transportation mm. area. That's fascinating. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's a really great it's um, really part changed. of town. Yeah. How cars have changed the the flow of commerce. Oh. Yeah. You would yeah. think that there would be more kind of action in business development down in that area um, to support that history. Yeah. Yeah, I think think there will be, and there is. So yeah. like next Friday, there's the grand opening of the uh, groundbreaking of the Furman Building, which is a historic building that's going to be um, renovated, um, adaptive reuse renovation into housing, um, and some com- first floor commercial. So there's targeting that, and and um, and for all its complexity, the Pleasant Street project will really invigorate that part of the neighborhood as well, which is clearly a good thing, providing alternative housing for people. For people who aren't familiar, could you describe the location of the Furman Building? Yes, it's um, almost at the corner of Center Street in Maine, where the um, the traffic light is, the intersection there. Okay, and the Um, hotel. Yeah, there's there's the um, Hyannis. No one's here. The, I know, there's the I hotel, the, the yellow building, yeah. and next to it is a firm building. It's a gray building that's been um, closed for a while. Okay, yeah, Thank you. that's going to be a cool spot. It's going to be a wonderful spot. Yeah, yeah. and so there are apartments for yes. lease, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's going to be an interesting spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's lots of efforts in Hyannis to, to do this. So I had a meeting the other day with someone from the town about um, kind of there's a wonderful memorial stones dedicated to all a lot of uh, veterans that are really mm. important to our story. And so they're trying to sort of do a heritage trail dedicated to that. So we're mm. talking about how we layer that sort of on. But mm-hmm. but the key that we keep saying is you don't want it to be sort of a spit of that and a spit of that, right? It right. needs to really, and this is where these between spaces come in. We call it urban fabric, we, you know, because it's our ligaments. It's, it's, yeah. it's what sort of, and again, sometimes it can just be a sense of safety. Right. Right. That there's a light somewhere where you need to sort of link yourself from one to the other. Always Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be a big mural or a big sculpture Mm -hmm. or a big building. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's um, looking at the subtlety, I think, Mm -hmm. and understanding how people want to use the space. Mm -hmm. You know, I walked from the hospital actually to your office, Julie, one day, and I I know the area well. But I found that walking it, I was like so confused about where I could you know, could I cut through this property? Was it public property? How would I, and I ended up walking way around, which is fine. You know, walking's <laughs> fine. But, uh, you know, having some sort of guidance, mm-hmm. you know, because I didn't know if I was, I think they were doing construction. Like, was I going to stumble into the construction? There was just really, and that's a space I know. So for visitors, mm-hmm. you know, they must get really confused yeah. about where things are. So. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of people who think about this a lot. And so yeah. I want to make sure that we give them credit. This is not a lost discussion. It's sort of a very regular discussion. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of um, just talk as well about um, how to how to navigate that area, how to get people from the transportation area 
area more mm-hmm. comfortably. The mm-hmm. kiosks that we made were sort of a first pass at that. And there's a system of, of navigating and wayfinding devices that are, are being discussed. So mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think we're, we're in good hands. It's just going to take a little time. What keeps you driven? Like, I'm just amazed because you just, you just keep going. Like, what <laughs> drives you? Like, I'm just amazed because every project that pops up, I'm like, oh, Marianne Agresti. <laughs> I'm like, this has a good chance. Marianne Agresti's name is on it. So, like, how you. are you get? like, is it just, you just really, you're just really curious. I am. I think it is. I think I'm just really curious. I, th- I, I mean, it's sort of, there's sort of, and I also think I love connecting the dots. I love sort of meeting someone and they're saying, we're thinking about having a film festival. And then, I mean, to a fault sometimes I'll say. And you're on the board. Yeah. I'll be like, great, we're having a film festival. Well, I have six ideas where you can hold the film. And I can see the person gently sometimes walk away, you know, because I like inundated them with things that they really didn't want to hear. And so I'm working on that. I get that. So... <laughs> She's excited. I know, but I feel like that's my only chance, and I need to like really tell them. And, um, <laughs> um, but there's, yeah, I just, I just, there's so many little things that could get solved if you just connect the dots. It's like, oh, Julie, have you met Amy? Because you guys together, you're going to do this cool podcast, right? And, yeah. And um, and I, I just, I get really excited about that. Yeah. I um, and and I and I also, I was talking to someone the day there was a row of chairs in front of us, and we were talking about our our. Um, our styles for getting things done. And I said, all right, this mm-hmm. is how I work. See this row of chairs? If you asked me to move the chairs to the front of the room, yeah. I would move the left one up two inches, the right one up two inches. I would like wiggle them all up at the same time. Balanced. But some people would take one chair and walk all the way to the front of the room, come back and get the other one and walk all the way to the front of the room. They're very focused. I am not. I have to take all 12 chairs and gently move them all up at the same time, like wiggle them up. That's sort of how I work. That's how my office is set up too. I have like six. That makes more sense. to Julie's face, if I can describe it, is, is a little <laughs> shocked. But yeah, I get the scat. Like it's not How scattered. Would you do it, but it's me. not scattered. It's very organized. It's organized. I would not be that clever, but I wouldn't like take the first chair and the second chair. I'd probably like do the fifth chair and then the <laughs> second chair and then the eighth chair and move it around. I know like, exactly what I would do. I was just like envisioning what I would do. Mm-hmm. And I get what you're doing because in some ways I do that when I work out. If I'm working with a weight bar, I have to take one weight off on the left and one weight off on the right. And then I do the left again and the right again (laughs) because I want that. I think of it like with pottery, you know, Mm -hmm. keeping the balance. I don't know why. But if I were moving those chairs, I would not start like left to right I always start right to left and I would probably grab two chairs and drag them up and then but all the way to the front and then come back and get more and then I might go to the other end Mm. and drag the other two but I would never go all the way to the front with any of the chairs I would just kind of push one forward then move over to the other one and push a little forward and and I would forget the rest. I would probably only move like four. <laughs> and then leave. And then someone would talk to me and I would be out to something else. Yeah. I would never. I like to think that I work smarter, not harder, but I'm not that smart to, yeah. to make To just wiggle pattern. them all up. Yeah. I know. So That's really I, yeah. interesting. So what sometimes it, it's not so good, right? Because you'll be working on something and then you're kind of doing the chairs and then you go, oh my God, that thing over there, I forgot that. And then yeah. You, and uh, so yes, like everybody's habits, it has strengths and, and it has its weaknesses. The strength is that I can get a lot done. 
yeah. because I quickly I go, okay, this has moved forward just enough where I can let that bake for a little while, right? Yeah. That's going to sit. And it, the baking is a very important part because actually maybe that's why I worked that way. I hadn't thought about it, but the sort of just letting it sort of be without me for a while. Right. And so I'm going to go work on something else and let it bake for a week or so. And, yeah. uh, and then I go back and, and I can sort of move it forward a little bit more because I haven't been looking at it. And I work that way. So maybe it, it lends itself, therefore, to working on a lot of different um, community-oriented things at once. That's mm. I love hearing what, the way people work. What do you do for, um, like, I only know you as super busy. So, like, <laughs> what do you do for self-care? Because you always look so healthy. Like, oh, what do you do? <laughs> um... I ride my bike a lot. Okay. I do like to be outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grow a lot of my own food, so um, ah. so I spend a fair amount of time outside when when the weather is appropriate for that. Although we've been growing garlic lately, which is really fun oh. because that's sort of an off season crop, right? So it's coming up right now. It's been sitting there all winter, waiting to sort of come on up. Yeah. So we have a huge crop of garlic. I've been dying to start selling some of the food that we have. So the crop garlic is big enough this year to market, <gasps> which is really great. I can't imagine how good fresh garlic mm. I can't either it's really good <laughs> oh so good bring you so, guys some so um yeah so I spend a lot of time outside I read a lot yeah um I exercise uh enough to keep myself in good, <laughs> good health but but I'm not I'm not necessarily like an avid bike racer or anything like that yeah I just like to sort for of, fun yeah so what kind of projects are you are on deck for you right now like what are you working on um let's see what did I do today? What are you not working on? <laughs> Let's make a list of what she's not working on. <laughs> so um, I am working on this uh, very wonderful project uh, in Hyannis called the Discovery Art Walk. Um, this is a project that's started by the Mid-Cape Cultural Council. Um, they, in a very unique way, have decided to um, manage some funds and and award it to create this walk. So there's three artists that are initiating the path. The idea is that these are smaller sculptures that people would come across and discover. These aren't sort of large pronounced statements that you see from afar. Um, and so I'm lucky to be one of the artists who are building sculptures for that. Mm. So um, my project will be located right along the harbor um, and at the top of Azelton Park. It's sort of a two-piece narrative piece. And you come across a piece and then discover the other half down the hill uh so i'm building that and uh and the project is inspired by an upside down dinghy that sort of wonderful feeling that you get after you've rowed you bring your dinghy in you turn it upside down so the water sheds and then you invariably sit and look back from where you've come right and there's that gentle rocking because the dinghy's upside down and it rocks a little bit so i was trying to um, recreate that feeling so it's a sculpture it's a seat um, all the things that I make, I like to make sure people can climb on and sit on and crawl through. So this is a sculpture that's intended to be sat and played on, and it gently sways. Um, and I'm really happy to be making it with the Maritime Museum. Wow. So um, so using their boat building expertise to mm. help me with this vision that I have. Mm. Um, and uh, so I'm working on that, and uh, 
that's been all consuming this week, frankly. <laughs> yeah, so that's really good. Um, you know, I'm, I'm helping some local folks make new parts of their home and, and reinvent pieces of their house. I love listening to people say, this isn't really working for us, but we really don't have a huge amount of money. We just aren't happy in our ex, you know, in our mm-hmm. kitchen or in our this, or our kids are getting different, older. And so, um, so I'm working with some people. Uh, I, have th- I have three residential projects that are of that nature that I'm really mm-hmm. excited about. I just finished a restaurant in Boston. Wow. Next to to Symphony Hall, if anybody wants to go to the symphony Mm. and have some dinner, there's a new place called Westland. That's Mm. on Westland Street right behind Symphony. Uh, A lot of my practice um, is still in Boston. I practiced in Boston, um, you know, owning a small size firm in architecture. That's about five people (laughs) for, uh, you know, for uh, 16 years. Wow. Um, so I still have a lot of clients who I work with in Boston. I go there one day a week. Um, and then I teach at Rhode Island School of Design. So I go there one day a week. And, uh, and then the rest I get to come here and sort of... Ride your bike. Ride my bike and, and <laughs> let ideas bake. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but doing these smaller space between projects was really a part of... Um, of being invested in my local community because I a lot of my architecture is off Cape, mm. um, so I really felt like this was a way I could take my experience and everything I'd learned from doing projects all over the world mm. and have some impact and really help and and see because I felt like I was seeing something that maybe other people weren't talking about, and uh, and maybe that could be a way to contribute. And wrapping up, I I have a question: Why? Are we so satisfied with living with bad design and think of good design <laughs> as such a luxury? Mm, I love that question, yeah, Amy. I think it's a great question. Um, and I think it comes back to knowing that you can make a difference and that it doesn't have to be really expensive. Um, and knowing what kinds of questions to ask of the people who are helping you make your space and, and, and believing in your intuition and believing mm-hmm. in, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, we wanted that, but they said we couldn't. It's like, did they tell you right. why you couldn't? You know, did you, mm-hmm. did you insist? Did you ask it a lot of questions? And keep saying, mm-hmm. you know, and this will drive people crazy, right? Because mm-hmm. if people just want you to sort of say it's okay. Yeah, you don't have to accept you the don't same have to accept. stuff. Well, and, and follow your intuition. So, for yeah. example, because of this very question, mm-hmm. I... Um, I have a daughter who's in ninth grade now, but you know what? Kind of going through elementary school with her each year, I would teach a design class to her school wherever mm-hmm. she was going, mm-hmm. because I wanted to solve this very problem, or at least try to help solve the problem. Because so I would teach the students to look at their own classroom, and we would sort of design my most amazing classroom, right? And say, so what's not working in your classroom? Well, it's so noisy, I can never think. They would say, okay, well, how will we solve that? Well, it's just noisy. Well, no, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. What is it? And so, so it wasn't to, to necessarily get them to think that they had all the answers. It was to get them to know that it was okay for them to have impact mm. on their built environment, even though they weren't the person who was building it. I think that there's this sort of mystery between builder and occupant. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just say, well, I guess it's the way it was because zoning is complicated and building. Like your question about why do buildings stand up mm. is sort of the answer to your question, right? It's a, it's a bit of a mystery. It's mm-hmm. not a mystery, actually. It's very scientific. <laughs> but it's mysterious. It seems sort mm-hmm. of mysterious. And mm-hmm. so I think people sort of kind of go, well, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'll just take this, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, but it's not a mystery, actually. And, and so mm-hmm. I, I would encourage people, if they feel, they feel in their heart that they want sort of 
they're happier and their heart glows for a certain reason, for a certain way. It, there's a reason for that. Like, be curious about it. It's okay. And don't mm-hmm. be embarrassed by saying, no, I really want this view. Because mm-hmm. there a way I can make it happen? Because those are, those are the projects that I believe in. And, I, and that's how I try to help my clients. I'm like, no, you said you wanted that. We're going to figure that one out. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not the way you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But we're going to keep going until it all clicks. And it does click. There's that moment you can almost hear it. Mm-hmm. where it finally goes click mm-hmm. and you're like we did it <laughs> <laughs> right. so the question the thing is um why do we accept so much i think we're in a really weird phase in terms of our building we've lost mm-hmm. touch with why we can build on a site there's this sort of number crunching going on there's this building envelope i can build this big building therefore i will um, <laughs> right. uh, right. kind of thing going on um and so if we can start with our youth and get them to be really curious about their built environment. And, and it, by doing that, it doesn't mean necessarily saving nature. Like, I think there's a lot of funny assumed kind of give and takes mm-hmm. that we kind of have our teaching without mm-hmm. even realizing it. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think we have to do that. So the idea is to ask questions. Don't be afraid to keep asking questions. If, you're, if your space doesn't feel right, ask why. Mm-hmm. Um, everything doesn't have to be really expensive if we're all talking about that then it's just base information, right? From the beginning. It's all, exactly. For example, it's interesting. I taught a class um, to, it was three third graders. Um, (laughs) It was more than three. They were third graders, but there was a group of them. (laughs) And we were designing My Most Amazing Town. It's just cardboard boxes. It's an Mm -hmm. exercise in basic town building. And I had put down a four by eight piece of um, board and a lot of cardboard boxes, and they got to the edges of the board with their town. And they were like, we've run out of space. We can't make our town anymore. And I was like, did you ever think that you could go up? But they don't because their world is a one and two story world, mm, right? Right. So that seems so simple, right? But that was a big aha moment. They all got pretty excited about that, right? Right. So, so again, it doesn't have to be complicated, right? It's just asking questions. Questions. Right. Yeah. I think everybody should go to architecture school. Yeah. Don't you think, Miriam? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Because these are the, the questions that we think about when we're in school and um, although I'm not a practicing designer any longer I really value and cherish the time that I had to think about um, the world around me and the spaces around me and Mm -hmm. how I use my own space and I love the idea of working with children to challenge that Mm -hmm. and to always be curious like well why is it so loud in here? Why are school class? Why are classrooms so loud? Why are so they so loud? They're so loud, and kids learn differently. Mm-hmm. And then they're also so scary. They're so militant looking from the outside, mm-hmm. you know. And um, you know, same with libraries, except for the East Ham Library, which is amazing. It is amazing. Um, I have to put a plug in for the Brooks Library in um, in Harwich. In Harwich, that's, yeah, that's a, yeah. It's a great space yeah. too. Yeah, and yeah. so it's like, why can't we um, we challenge the designers or the or the towns or the municipalities to really make things more welcoming, you know, and and have our children start saying, you know. I'd rather walk into a joyful building Mm -hmm. than a building that looks like it's a prison. Um, And it just, it creates the environment and the culture of things. And it's really, it's really important. Like the cultural center here is so warm and welcoming Mm. the way they've done their, they've married the old to the Mm. new and um, done a really nice job with the space between the two buildings, Mm -hmm. you know, they've done a really nice job. Um, So it's, you know, it, it, this is definitely good food for thought. That's what I'm taking away. It's, Mm is really start having those 
design questions with my own kids. Well, yeah. And I you think, know? I think you know, some people might say, yeah, wouldn't it be great if we could all go to architecture school? That seems sort of luxurious. <laughs> but, but and so, you know, to remind us that it's not about all getting a master's degree in architecture. That's right. That's right. That it's really about sort of allowing yourself and giving yourself the confidence to say, actually, what, what I'm thinking about this actually does matter. Right. And, and I'm going to ask this question. And and then we're going to see where it takes us because I've been struggling with the way I where I eat my food for a long time and and I don't like where I eat it's like makes me unhappy yeah it's dark right? it's dark yeah lonely um, so <laughs> so asking the kids that I think they'll take ownership of it and it will trickle it mm-hmm. will become being aware of your environment it'll become about being more resourceful with materials mm-hmm. um, if you have an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper it's one of these exercises we do it's like you can't mm-hmm. waste any bits of it how are we right. gonna st- we cut it up what do we do with the edges which is really when they grow up about the spaces between they right. cut a circle out of eight and a half by eleven and they've got stuff left over that's material that's place that's space right so what is that so think I mean just all those little exercises that you can do with people at all age groups Right. Right. Um, I think is is really wonderful. You know, STEM training is amazing. They added the A and made it STEAM, and that's great. I think sometimes that sort of turns into art and science mm. versus design mm. and science. And and then, but but you're also seeing a lot of great programs that are kind of creating mm. that process. Design is a lot like science. It's the same thing. Scientists mm. are curious, right? Mm-hmm. I said to my husband the other day, I said, you know what? I think I should have been a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna, I want to see if Huey would sort of hire me as an intern or something. Is it okay to have like another fourth <laughs> chapter of my life? Because, because they're similar. Yeah, they're really similar. Yeah, yeah. it's it's challenging, right? You it's, challenge, and you question, and you stay curious, and it's uh, it is really interesting. Yeah, it's it's being curious. Being curious. Yeah. So, Amy. Yes, Julie. Um, any good takeaways? You gonna go build something? I I don't know that I'm gonna go build something, but I don't know that I'm gonna settle anymore. Yeah, I think that right. I'm gonna start really thinking about spaces that I occupy and how I can make them work better for me instead of just accepting that that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm gonna you know I have two littles and I you know I I'm always talking about you know I'm always following the light with the kitty in the house you know <laughs> and I've recently <laughs> noticed that my children also follow the light um and w- those areas it's like I want to invest more time in mm, right and so I feel like you know people should start looking at the way they live and the way they work and what inspires them and what makes them more comfortable and so um I, I love this conversation so much. I mean, I could talk about it all day about mm-hmm. the way people use space. So that's my, my takeaway is I feel very um, satisfied by this conversation. I do too. <laughs> this was yeah. fun. Thank you, Mary. And inspiring. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to today's guest, designer and architect, Marianne Gresti. For this episode of the Creative Exchange Podcast, I'm Amy Davies, the Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. And I'm Julie Wake, Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. Until next time, arts matter. Support for the Creative Exchange Podcast is made possible by Delbrook JKS. Music for the Creative Exchange Podcast is the work of Jordan Renzi. Produced in association with Billingsgate Records by Jordan Renzi and Andrew Staker at Big Red Studios in Wellfleet. The Creative Exchange Podcast is brought to you by the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod, Provincetown Community Television, and the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. In the desert.
So 